Welcome to another Tabletop Ramble, your base for all tabletop gaming. I'm your host, Jacko. In this week's show, I have tasked the team with trying to find some suitable replacements for some games that have long outlived their welcome. But before all that, here's this week's Tabletop Gaming News. for the Spiel de Jurors have been announced. So, just in case you're not aware, the Spiel de Jurors are the equivalent of what the Oscars are to movies for the board gaming world. In these awards, there are three different categories. The Spiel de Jurors is primarily aimed at family-friendly games. The Kinderspiel is a bit more technical and aimed at more hardcore gamers, and the Kinderspiel is aimed at children. In the Spiel de Jurors, the nominations are the Adventures of Robin Hood by Michael Menzel, published by Cosmos. Micro Macro Chrome City, designed by Johan Sick and published by Edition Spielweis. And Zombie Teams, which is designed by Annick Lobert and is published by Le Scorpion Mask. I'm a big fan of Zombie Teams Evolution, I must admit. Although I was expecting this one to turn up in the uh, Kinderspiel, which I'll go over in a second, rather than the main Spiel du jour. I've got a sneaky suspicion that Micro Macro Crime City is going to win this one. In the Kennerspiel, the nominations are Fantasy Realms by Bruce Glasgow and published by WizKids, Lost Ruins of Arnak by Min Elven and published by Czech Games Edition, and Paleo by Peter Rustermeyer and is published by Hanzip Gluck. I could see this one being a very close competition. And finally, you have the titles that are nominated for the Kinderspiel, which is the children's game. In this, you'll have Dragonomino by Bruno Kafala, Mary Fault, and Wilfred Fault, and is published by Blue Orange Games. This is like an even more child friendly version of King Domino. Mere London and the Case of the 625 Scoundrels by Antoine Bowser, Corotin Lebret, and this is another nomination for Le Scorpion Mask. And finally, you have Storytailers, which is also by Mary Fault and William Fault, and is published by Lifestyle Ball Games. I've not played any of these, so I really don't know who's going to win this one. The winners for the Spiel des Jahres and Kinderspiel will be announced on July the 19th, and the Kinderspiel winner will be announced on June the 14th. We wish all the competitors the very best of luck. Spiel du Jura's nominee Micro Macro City from Pegasus Spiel is getting a sequel. This is called Micro Macro Crime City Full House. 
In Micro Macro Crime City, where you're given clues that you need to try and solve these crimes, and you're looking at these pictures, so a bit like in Where's Wally, you're looking for characters, and then you'll follow a path to see what happens. According to the game's publisher, Full House will provide a more complex and sophisticated and a bit more criminal experience in comparison to the original Micro Macro. Certain cases will also be marked with a series of symbols indicating which ones are more suitable for younger players, which is a brand new feature for the series. We can expect to find this in stores in August, but a retail price has yet to be confirmed. Renegade Games have announced that they are bringing out a new Transformers deck building game. Once five players take on the roles of one of the mighty Autobots, you will begin exploring the Matrix, transforming between your bot and the alternate mode as you gain allies, find relics and acquire technology to do battle with the evil Decepticons. But be warned, as your deck grows, more powerful Decepticons will rise up to challenge you. The Transformers deck building game can be played cooperatively or competitive. You'll be bringing out a core set which will begin your collection with everything you need to play but the battle is far from over as playable Decepticons will be along shortly after allowing you to expand your game and offer new possibilities. Pre-orders are now available on the Renegade Games web store and you'll also be able to get yourself a bonus pack which features the very popular Jazz who will be a playable character as well as four additional promos for you to encounter as you travel through the Matrix. It wasn't that long ago that there was another Transformers game that was out by Wizards of the Coast and this kind of flopped within two years, despite getting quite good reviews. Well, hopefully this one has better luck. Funko Games is releasing a kids game based on the Disney Parks attraction, It's a Small World. In Disney It's a Small World, two to six players work in two teams, or cooperatively, to match cards from the hands with figures depicted in the scenes of the 3D game board. The flat part of the game board depicts a winding river with boat spaces that have variable card values. Each team has a boat that moves one space at a time along the river and then draws a number of cards on the boat space that they land on. The 3D portion of the game board consists of large double-sided standees in an X shape that shows displays from It's a Small World ride. From each boat space, the boat can see four of the 16 displays. The displays show charming kids and animals. The cards that players draw each has one of the kids or animals. Players score by matching cards from their hands with figures their boat can see on the display. The game is suggested for ages 4 and up and is for 2-6 players. This will initially be exclusively available at Disney Parks and Shop Disney until July the 1st where it will then be available at Amazon and presumably other retailers. I can guarantee as soon as you start playing this game there will be a certain tune that will be ringing through your ears. For the main part of this week's show, I thought I would set the team a challenge. What I wanted to do, I wanted to see if the team could try to replace some timeless classic games. Some are just awful and a desperate need of replacing, 
Some are absolutely amazing games, but they might be some good modern alternatives. And I thought it'd be interesting to see what the team could come up with. To make things fair, we done this as a total random draw. There were 50 games that were put into a hat, and each person took it in turns to draw a name out. So anything that they were given was totally random, and I really wish that some of mine I hadn't pulled out. Unfortunately, due to unforeseen circumstances, we have had somebody who had to pull out. But don't worry, we will cover the missing 10 games in an episode further down the road. This week, you'll be hearing the first five that each person got, and then next week, we'll do the following five. Leading the way is Rob, then Boise, followed by Pete, and then I'll bring up the real. Hope you enjoy. So Jack has given us the challenge of coming up with Monday replacements for old, much-beloved analogue favourites. And he's given me Pictionary. So I thought, why not A Fake Artist Goes to New York by Oink Games. So A Fake Artist Goes to New York is a bit of a guessing game and a bit of a drawing game. What happens is you'll have a question master who decides what the subject of the art is going to be and also what the object is. And then you've got the artists who are trying to draw the object. But one of those artists will be the fake artist. Now, the question master will write on the number of cards for the number of players what the subject and the object is. For instance, uh, if the uh, subject is flight, they might write helicopter. Now, I say that the uh, question master will write this on all the cards. We'll write this on all the cards except for one. Now, this will be a big X on it. They will be shuffled, handed out at random. So, in your group, there will be a group of artists who know what they're trying to draw, and there will be the fake artist who doesn't know what what this being drawn, but will have to fake it. You see, it's not just a clever name. So, there are two rounds. And in a round, each person will take it in turns to draw a continuous line on the dry white board. Okay? Now, this line can't be too obvious because the fake artist is trying to work out what's being drawn. But it can't be too vague because the other artists might think they're faking it. So it's a bit of a balancing thing where they're trying to, um, you know, we're trying to draw something, but... We're also trying to make it not so obvious that the fake artist can work out what it is. Usually takes about 20 minutes, nice and quick, and it's particularly silly and particularly fun. So, uh, yeah, there you go. There's my replacement for Pictionary. So the next game that Jack gave me to update was that classic game of dropping marbles, Kaplunk. Ah, now, hmm... Okay, so uh, I guess there's not many Kaplunk games. Or maybe there is. Uh, I've got one. I've got one. Um, Potion Explosion. Now, it's not exactly about dropping marbles, but marbles are involved. They do drop and things go Kaplunkish. So the idea of Potion Explosion is you're trying to make potions, uh, which are like these, uh, they look a bit like sort of table tennis bats uh, with little uh, holes to sort of rest the marbles in. Uh, and And... The ingredients for the potions are on these racks. So what you can do in your turn is you take a marble 
and put it into your potion. Now, if by taking a marble, you end up with two marbles of the same colour together, it causes an explosion, a potion explosion. And not only do you get to take out the marble that you took out to start with, but you get to take out those two marbles that exploded and put those into your potion as well. And guess what? If more marbles end up coming together, so you get another two or three marbles coming together of the same colour, boom, you get another potion explosion. So you see this whole connection with Kaplunk here. It's not just about marbles dropping or anything like that, but it's about chain reactions. It's about picking the right marbles. It's big. It's fun. It's probably quite hard to get hold of at the moment because it's big and it's fun. But it really is one for all the family and certainly more satisfying than just pulling pins out of the plastic thing that always falls over and uh, all the marbles drop out anyway and no one can remember how to play it and, uh, well, at least it's better than Mousetrap. But, yeah, Potion Explosion is a lot more fun than Kaplunk. So that's what I'm going to offer for Kaplunk, Potion Explosion. Right, the next challenge that Jack gave me is a bit of a toughie. And it will probably get me labelled as a heretic when I say some of the things I'm about to say. So, the old classic we're talking about here is one that is still going strong today. And this is Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, I've played Dungeons & Dragons. I must say, uh, it took me a long time to come around to Dungeons & Dragons. In my youth, I played things like Traveller. I played things like Call of Cthulhu. I played things like uh, Stormbringer and Paranoia and things like that. I never got round to Dungeons & Dragons because, quite frankly, the idea didn't really interest me. It always seemed to be. I know people get really involved and could play these games for years and years and years and build up these characters. But it struck me that it was just wandering around a dungeon, killing monsters, looting corpses, finding treasure. And that was it. And and uh, I I just I just didn't want to do that. I preferred the idea of sort of, you know, pursuing cults or sort of travelling across the universe. So a replacement for Dungeons and Dragons. Um now the problem I have with Dungeons and Dragons now, and the problem I have with RPGs in general, is that RPGs come into sort of two general categories. Dungeons and Dragons is a category where uh it's really the players who are trying to screw over the Games Master. Because the Games Master has set up this story. Uh, you wander around a dungeon, you kill some monsters, and you find some treasure. And what will happen is, the players will go out their way to do everything that the Games Master doesn't expect. And doesn't want them to happen. Can I have a look in this basket? Why do you want to look in this basket? I'm interested in looking in this basket. There's nothing in the basket. I want to roll against my perception. Oh, God. And I just end up thinking there and saying, oh, please, please, let this end. Please, I just want it to end. I will, I will eventually just send my character into a situation that I know will kill it in the vain hope that I won't have to play the game anymore. So, sorry for all you fans of Dungeons & Dragons out there, but <laughs> I'm just telling it like it is. And there's the other category of role-playing games where you know your character is doomed from the start. Now, I, I did enjoy playing Alien to a certain point, and the point where I stopped enjoying it was when I realised, it doesn't matter what I do, I'm going to die here. This is it. This is this become utterly futile and, and despairing. So, um, yeah. Until I started becoming that sort of, uh, well, let's say that, uh, that, that guy with a questionable uh, accent. 
And uh, then it became a lot more fun because I I could engage with it. I didn't really have to worry about it. Um, so my replacement for Dungeons & Dragons after all this sort of bad mouthing of role-playing games, my replacement for Dungeons & Dragons is actually <laughs> Lasers and Feelings. If you haven't come across Lasers and Feelings before, it's, it's a whole lot of fun because it's a role-playing game that's on one sheet of paper. And it's a role-playing game that only has one stat, okay? It's, it's, it can be a number between, uh, say, 1 and 10. So you play it with a d10, or you can play it with a d6 if you don't want to go that complicated. Probably best to play with a d10, though. It allows for a little bit of sort of leeway. So what you do is you have your single stat, which is your lasers and feelings. Now, you, to, to get the idea of this, what happens is you... You have uh, actions that you can do that are either technical, fighting related, these are your lasers, and then you have uh, actions which are emotional or intelligent, and these are your feelings. Now, to pass a lasers action, you have to roll over your stat. And to pass a feelings action, you have to roll under your stat, it's so simple. And what does the what does the games master do when all this uh, well all this is going on? Well, the games master sets up what happens to begin with. It just says, "This is your setting. This is where you are. What do you want to do?" They don't have to worry about planning because the idea is what they're going to do is they're just going to go with whatever the players want to do. So you don't have that feeling that uh, you know uh, the players are just going to mess it up for you because it's all part of the fun. And the players don't have that feeling that the uh, Games Master is going to mess it up for them because it's all part of the fun. You're just making a story. You've just got one dice to worry about, one stat to worry about. You can have a bit of a backstory formed about you, but it's very simple. It's not gonna, You're not going to spend hours just looking at all these things and having to work out your motivation and having to work out your life story and you know I'm, half the time I find it hard enough to deal with you know just one life uh, actually having to research and look into someone else's life and sort of create another character it's too much like homework and I'm too old to do homework anymore so if you want to just have a bit of fun with your RPG, if you don't want to invest your life in it, I really recommend looking up Lasers and Feelings. It's great. You'll have a blast. And who knows, if you want to start up a campaign that lasts for years, go for it. Why not? But don't have to worry about dice. And you don't have to worry about homework. Okay, I've got over my rant. Uh, on to the next one to replace. Next, a uh, oldie but a goodie being replaced by a newie and possibly bettery. So the next one is drafts. Now drafts is oh that's a, that's a big ask because it's probably one of the oldest games ever made. It's older than chess, and and certainly older than um, Twilight Imperium. It's 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 somewhere somewhere back there. Um, or it's older than when the first game of Twilight Imperium first started. So, drafts. Mm. Well, I, I'm going to go for War Chest. Uh, 
because I really like War Chest and it's got that element of simplicity of drafts. You're moving things around the board, you're trying to take your opponent's uh, counters, you're trying to control points as well, you're sort of like with drafts, have to get to the other end and king it. You can pile the counters on top of each other, but there's a lot more things you can do. It's 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 a bit like chess as well. It's got elements of drafts, it's got elements of chess, but it's also got elements of deck building, and you know how much I love deck building. Okay, so it's a bag builder. Mm, that's close. So with War Chess, you've got two players, and they have uh, a number of different units. Okay, these are represented by counters, and they've got cards in front of them as well. So they start off with a bag, which has got so many of the counters. They take a counter out to the bag, and they can decide to do, they can decide to place it, or they can decide to use it to buy another counter to go into their discard pile, or they can use it to make one of the counters on the board perform an action. And yeah, it's, it's lots of fun. You've got lots of different, uh, units that you've got in there. So you can have a set, set of units, or you can just deal them out at random, or you can even set up the units to, um, to recreate ancient battles. So for instance, if you wanted to have the Battle of Agincourt, where you had your uh, English archers versus your French cavalry, you can set it up like that. So you can set up one side with uh, with cavalry and uh, light cavalry and heavy cavalry, and you can set up the other side with uh, different kinds of archers and things like that, and play it out on the board, and see how that would work out. See if the archers would still win. So, and not only that, it is one of the most beautiful games you'll ever seen. I mean, talk about high production values. It comes in a chest which opens up, and inside you've got all these racks of counters, you've got these embroidered bags, you've got a beautiful board, you've got a lovely instruction manual. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, uh, you know, judge a book by its cover, judge a game by its boxing or anything like that, but believe me, you look at this and you think, yeah, that's a nice looking game. Well, I'll tell you what, it's a nice playing game as well. It's a nice two-player game. You can play four players as well, but uh, as a replacement for drafts or even the almighty chess, I'd say war chess. So my final first five, or my final of the first five, is an absolute classic, which I loved playing as a child, and will probably still enjoy playing as an adult. And that is Escape from Colditz. Now I say enjoy playing as a child, because the problem with Escape from Colditz is there are lots of little bits, uh, lots of cards that were not exactly greatest quality in those days, so they'd always be a bit tatty. And there was always this problem of trying to persuade everyone to have a game of Escape from Colditz, because it would take a while. So, looking for a modern equivalent to Escape from Colditz, something that's a little bit more accessible, and a little bit more fun for all the family, and a lot more quiet. And that game is Magic Maze. Now, if you haven't played Magic Maze, it's a cooperative game. It's a game where everyone's really 
moving everything at the same time. You haven't got your own piece. What you actually have instead is you have a move. So, for instance, you might have a card in front of you that says, you can move left. You might have a card in front of you that says, you can move up. So, the idea of the game is for the four sort of fancy figures like, you know, dwarf, warrior, wizard, elf, that sort of thing, to try and get out of this shopping mall. Yeah, 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 I know, it's a bit weird. But first they have to find their weapons, and then they need to find their exits. So you're moving all these little pieces around the board, but you can only move in the direction you've got. And there's another problem as well. You can't say anything. That's great, isn't it? So what happens is you'll move a piece one way and someone will move a piece the other way and you'll move that piece back and they'll kind of glare at you across the table and you'll put a big pawn in front of them to say you really should be moving this, but you can't say anything. Not only that, but you've got an egg timer which is counting down the minutes and what you have to do is, as well as trying to get to the exit and trying to find your weapons, is that you have to make sure that the timer doesn't run out. And to do this, you go onto a timer counter and then you can flip over the egg timer. Pressure? Yes. Can you do anything about it? Not really. Fun? Oh, yes, absolutely. And not only that, there's with this, you get a whole campaign. So you start off with a very simple game with only so many cards in it, only so many tiles. And as you proceed through, it gets more and more complicated. So, for instance, you get more tiles in. You get more things that your characters can do. Uh, it's a game that develops. You've got a campaign. You can play it with your friends. You can play it with your family. You can play it on your own, if you like. It's... Absolutely fantastic! It's uh, this is an escape game. It's uh, it's nice to play. It's fun for all the family, and it's quiet. Oh, I love quiet games. Anyway, on that note, that's me done. Uh, I'm knackered, and uh, okay, Jack. I'll think about the next five for you. Cheers now. See you later. Okay, so uh, my first game that I'm replacing with a modern day game is Monopoly from 1933. Um, and I, I hate this game. I, I, I can't stand it. Um, there's no skill in this whatsoever. It's roll a dice, move your um, bits and pieces, buy things that you've got to buy, um, land on it, pay the money you've got to land, uh, pay. Um, yeah, I, I can't stand it. So it was pretty easy to replace this with something better in my opinion. And I have gone for uh, Brass, uh, the Lancashire version from 2007. So Brass is a game uh, sat set in Lancashire, which hurts me a little bit because I'm from Yorkshire, um, but I'll forget that. Um, and it's about uh, industrializing that, that area. Uh, you players build coal and iron mines, cotton mills, ports, shipyards. Uh, towns etc and uh, you've got to grow your power your uh, influence um, and make money just like monopoly but more fun oh and you can also loan money so a bit like monopoly loaning money from the bank is this game for children no but i don't think you should be putting children through uh, monopoly you're ruining 
uh, ruin board gaming for the rest of their lives if you make them play Monopoly. Next up is Hero Quest from 1989. I'm that old. Um, well, actually, I was a little bit cooler, I think. I had advanced Hero Quest. I'm not sure I ever really had Hero Quest. Um, and I was in two minds of what to recommend for this. I'm always a little bit frustrated um, by dungeon delving board games. Um, because I play so many role-playing games. If I want to do something in a dungeon, I want and, and, and I can imagine my character doing it, then I think I've been spoiled by role-playing games, because as, as long as the dice go my way, I'm going to do that thing. Where board games, I feel a bit restricted. Um, but um, if I was to choose a board game, a modern board game, um, to match or surpass Hero Quest, it's got to be Gloomhaven, and in specifically, I think uh, Jaws of the Lion, because it's so uh, friendly to get into. So uh, the step-by-step -step, uh, introduction scenarios for Jaws of the Lion, Gloomhaven, Jaws of the Lion, um, are just a fantastic addition to that series, and, and teaching you how to play Gloomhaven. And if you fall in love with Jaws of the Lion, then you can transition over to Gloomhaven. But it's got the dungeon delving, it's got some, um, well, I was about to say it's got some good uh, miniatures, but actually you don't get that many miniatures with uh, Gloom Gloomhaven. You get the characters, but the rest are cardboard cutouts. So maybe the miniature lover in me is a bit disappointed with that, but, um, you know, the, the, the game would have had to have been delivered on an articulated truck, I think, if all the mini if miniatures were included in it. Next up, I drew um, a strange one. I got given Magic the Gathering from 1993. Um, and immediately when I was given that, I, I had to clarify the rules because Magic the Gathering's still going, still really successful, still pumping out um, new cards, new mechanics, new artwork, which is fantastic, by the way. I love the artwork on the Magic the Gathering cards. Um, so my modern day replacement for Magic the Gathering is Magic the Gathering. Um, massive community of players out there you will find a game of magic the gathering if you want to is it the best collectible card game out there possibly not no um but still a solid game still fun to play um and yeah a, a beautiful beautiful artwork next is risk from 1959 who knew probably lots of people knew that i just i didn't because i dislike uh, risk and I think that's because I got my butt kicked too many times uh, playing this and I fell out of it um, so I am replacing this with Star Wars Rebellion um, has some amazing diddly, diddly little miniatures so if you liked your little tiny miniatures from risk you're gonna and you're a fan of Star Wars then you're gonna love um, all the little Star Wars miniatures that you uh, get with this Death Stars, Atats, and your little Stormtroopers. So uh, in this game, you control an entire galactic empire, um, or the fledgling Rebel Alliance, and you command your starships and your troop movements and uh, rally systems to your cause. Um, yeah, a, a, a really fun game, really good-looking game. And if you're a fan of Star Wars, I think there's something like 150 little miniatures uh, to to go with this game. So, yeah, uh, 
fantastic replacement for Risk. Um, when did this come out? 2016, so it's not that old, really. Next up, I drew uh, Game of Life 1960. I do uh, remember this from my childhood. I think I used to quite enjoy this, but I, I remember very little about it. I think it's pretty much um, roll your dice um, and... and I think there was a dial to spin and then you move and that's about it, I think. I'm not sure there was much strategy um, in this game. Um, and what I've chosen for this is Camel Up, or some people call it Camel Cup, um, but Camel Up from 2014. Um, an absolutely fun game. A um, little bit of gambling in there, but the kids don't seem to uh, notice that. And as a parent, I'm not really worried about that. Um, and yeah, you race your camels um, around a pyramid, betting on who's going to win or who might come in second, etc. Um, and yeah, you just kind of roll your dice and off you go. Um, great, fun game. Some cool little uh, mechanics where you're stacking your camels up on top of each other. Um, lots of fun for the family lots of fun for the kids and it's a it's a pleasure to teach people this game and, and see them enjoy it hello ramblers it's uh the cow man here pete uh looking at um some games that wanted to be updated as i'm sure you're aware jack's given us all us ramblers a bit of a challenge in picking some rather old games and thinking of some of the newer games which share some of the mechanics and some of the feel and uh, generally improve on their gaming experience. Uh, for me, I'll be looking at five games. Uh, these games are Buckaroo, Cluedo, Uno, Mastermind, and Battleships. So the first game I'm going to look at is the classic Buckaroo, which, believe it or not, was published back in 1970 and was designed by somebody called Julius Cooper. I'm sure you're all familiar with Buckaroo. It's the good old classic of a rather naughty donkey, which you, which will spring up and deposit its cargo, depending on how much weight you, you put on it. So you take it in turns and putting a piece of kit on, and it goes kabadoomp, and uh, yeah, it all goes off. Um, so yeah, um, I was looking at a fair few games, but I think some of the core mechanics which I really wanted, which I was looking at, was the idea of dexterity. The fact that you're trying to stop an action from happening by being the most careful in regards to laying pieces on the back of the donkey. And there's a fair few dexterity games out there, but the one which I was really looking at was uh, Junk Art, which um, I don't know if you're aware, it was released back in 2016. It was designed by uh, Jay Coroner and Sen Fu Glim. Uh, it's available through pretzel games and it costs between, I'd say, between 20 and 30 pounds. Um, so, yeah, the game itself, it's, it, it comes with um, a deck of cards which gives you a whole multitude of games. Um, it says that it contains more than 10 game modes, along with more than 60 big, colorful plastic, wooden or plastic components. Um, it, one of the versions of the games, uh, players pe uh, pile all of the plastic uh, parts in the center of the table table and then they'll dealt a number of cards with each card depicting one of these parts. On a turn, a player presents their left-handed neighbour with two cards on their hand. Their neighbour takes one in the hand and then takes the part shown on the, on the other card and places it on their base or on other parts that they've already placed. If something falls, it stays on the table and the player continues to build on whatever still stands. Once players have finished playing cards, whoever has the toys work of art wins. 
So that's essentially the premise. You, you've got um, a whole load of different odd-shaped um, pieces, which essentially you're stacking on one above the other, depending on, on the, the variant of the game which uh, is in front of you. It's great fun. It, it, it requires a steady hand, as I'm sure you can imagine. And invariably, you, you, you're trying to build the tallest structure out of the parts that are given you the base on, which cards you're given. Um, it, as I said, it shares a, a similar cap mechanic to, to, to Buckaroo in the fact that it's a dexterity game, but I think that's where the kind of the similarities end, really. Um, I love it. It's one of the first games that I've got, um, simply because it's something which like um, young or old can play together, and the rules, the rules aren't that heavy. Um, so yeah, uh, so there you go. First game to look at was Buckaroo, and my choice to replace it would be Junk Art. So the second game I was uh, gifted with uh, looking at was uh, Cluedo, which again is quite a substantial old game. Um, according to my records, it was uh, first published way back in 1949. and was designed by a chap called Anthony Pratt. Um, I'm sure you're all familiar with the game of uh, the the, the classic detective game that is Cluedo, in which players move from room to room in a mansion to solve the mystery of essentially who done it and with what and where. Uh, players are dealt a character, a weapon, and location cards. After the top cards of each type are secretly placed in a confidential file in the middle of the board, players must move from room to room and then make an accusation as to a particular character saying they did it in that room with this specific weapon. Uh, the player of to the left must show one of any cards accused to the accuser, if in that player, if it's in that player's hand. Through deductive reasoning, each player must figure out of, must figure out which character, weapon, and location are in the secret file. To do this, each player must uncover what cards are in the other player's hands by making more and more accusations. Once the player knows what cards the other players are holding, they will know what cards are in the secret file. So that's that's Cluedo. I think we've all had the experience of playing Cluedo. It is. I enjoyed it. It's it's a great game. It's something which I've got fond memories of. Um, and there's a fair amount of deduction work, trying to work out who's got what cards, trying to remember where pieces are where, and you kind of yeah, you you take it in to work out essentially who did it and with what. So that's Cluedo, pretty much summed up. Now, again, there's a couple of games which I could have picked in regards to replacing this. But the one I did pick was Mysterium. Mysterium was first published back in 2015 and designed by Olent Standernevsky and Oleg Sidorenko. Um, it was published by uh, Libidium and, and placed between 27 and it will cost you between 25 to £30. Apologies for the pronunciation. I do believe it was either, I think it was a Polish um, couple who designed it. In Mysterium, again, you're trying to serve a murder, but it's different in that one player is the ghost, while everybody else um, plays mediums who can speak to the ghost. What is quite interesting is that the ghost themselves can't speak. To solve the crime of uh, the ghost's murder, um, the ghost first must recall, with the aid of the medium, all of the suspects present on the night of the murder a number of suspect locations and murder weapon cards are placed on the table, and the ghost Vandermeer assigns one to each of them, each of these mediums in secret. Each hour, or a game turn, the ghost hands one or more vision cards face up to, face up to each medium. 
refilling their hand to seven each time they shared vision cards. These vision cards present dreamlike images to the mediums, with each medium first needing to deduce which aspects correspond to the vision cards received. The cards themselves are very similar to um, the vision cards you get in Dixit, so they're, so they're great pieces, and there's a lot of ambiguity as to what could or could not actually be the thing on the card which the uh, ghost wants the, the medium to look at. Once the ghost has handed out cards to the final medium, they start a two-minute sand timer. Once a medium has placed their token on a suspect, they may also place clairvoyancy tokens on the guesses made by other mediums to show whether they agree or disagree with those guesses. After, time, after the time runs out, the ghost reveals to each medium whether the guesses were correct or not. Mediums who guess correct move up on, on the, the board to take guesses on the location of the crime and then the murder weapon. While those that didn't keep their vision cards, well those that didn't keep their vision cards and received and received new ones in the next hour, the next round, corresponding to the same suspect. Once a medium has correctly guessed the suspect, location and weapon, they move their token to the epilogue board and receive one clairvoyancy point for every hour remaining on the clock. They can still use their remaining clairvoyancy tokens to score additional points. If one or more medium fail to identify their, their proper suspect, location and weapon before the end of the seventh hour, then the ghost has fails and dissipates, leaving the mystery unsolved. If, however, they have all succeeded, then the ghost has recovered enough of its memory to identify its culprit. So, Mysterium, um, it has very, a very similar feel to, to, um, to Clue, but it's a damn sight more of a party game. It's something which um, a group of people can easily sit down and actually enjoy playing together in a semi-cooperative um, manner. Well, uh, with the, uh, the ghost trying to um, piece um, um, information together to the mediums to guess essentially who done it and with what. Um, it's a great game. It definitely updates a lot of the mechanics you find in Clue. And it gives a more of a, a more of a, a you know a sense of achievement when you all because you all work together to actually find out the murderer. So that's my choice for Clue or Cluedo. Um, go and get yourself Mysterium and enjoy yourselves. So the next game I'll be looking at is Uno, which again uh, was first published back in 1971 and was designed by Merle Robbins. I think we've all had um, memories of playing Uno. It's usually for us it was one of the games we used to take on us when we went camping. In the very when the wet weather came out, we were all sat around playing Uno. Uh, for those who aren't familiar, it's a um, it's a hand uh, management game where you dealt a deck of cards and players race to empty their hands and catch opposing players with cards left in their hands, which score points. In turns, player a players attempt to play a card by matching its colour, number, or words to the topmost card in the discard pile. If unable to play, a player draws a card from the draw pile, and if still unable to play, they pass their turn. There are also wild and special cards which spice things up a little bit, making you draw more cards. Um, now, I'll, I was looking at a fair few um, kind of hand management um, games, um, uh, card games, which are available. And I was going to punt for Six Nymph, which um, I think I reviewed in an earlier episode. However, I did come across uh, a, a game which I don't think is actually available in the UK at the moment, a game called Hulldog Mau Mau, which is a little German uh, card game which was uh, published back in 2019, designed by Leo Colovini and is published by Ravensburger. 
Who would duck? Mau Mau um, is another uh, card management game. The game itself consists of 98 cards with 1 to 7 appearing twice in 7 colours. The cards colours themselves each, depend, each depicts, the art was quite fantastic, they depict each different types of onions, uh, which is where the game um, kind of like translates to uh, Don't Cry. Um, so, yeah. Uh, each player starts with a random number of cards face up in front of them as a personal discard pile as well as a hand of four cards. On a turn, you may place one card from your hand following the familiar gameplay rules by matching the colour or number. Ideally, you want to play on your own pile, but if the card you would play matches the top card on your left or right-handed neighbour's discard pile, then you must play there instead. If you have no valid card or don't want to give points away to somebody else, you can play the card face down on your stack, showing only the weeping onion on the card back, which is where the game gets its name from. On the ne on your next turn, you can play any card you like on that pile, except following the same rules as if it matches a neighbor's top card, of course, in which you must give it away. You can't play it on the neighbor's onion card. Once all the cards have been played, everyone scores for the, for the cards in the pile, but they must count, but first they must count the number of onion cards in their pile. However many onions they have, they must remove all matching numbers cards or matching number cards prior to scoring. So if you have four owns, for example, you must, you must discard all cards even your pile that have the number four in them. And this is bad since all cards score point equal to their value. If you have 10 onions, you must first discard all sevens and then all three, then all threes. Whoever has the most points wins. So again, it's just, it follows the very similar mechanic to Uno, but I think it also adds a little bit more in regards to, your, there's a little bit more choice as to what you can do and it can get a little bit of like, you do get a, a fair amount of take that. Uh, on top of the um, the regular cards, there's a couple of, um, there's 12 actually special action cards that can be used to twist it up a bit. Um, I've not played the game myself. It looks very interesting. And I know uh, my partner Terry absolutely loved the artwork. So um, it might make an appearance um, at some point soon. Uh, unfortunately, because it isn't available in the UK um, and it's only available, I think from um, uh, German distributors, it's quite expensive at about £19, but hopefully it'll get a UK release soon. Um, if anybody knows, or if anybody knows where you can get it in the UK, um, I'll be very interested to hear from you. So yeah, um, so that is, let's get the name again. It is Who Duck, uh, which replaces Uno. The fourth game I want to look at is uh, Mastermind, which was first published back in 1971 uh, by Mordencia Merovitz. Again, apologies for the pronunciation. Um, it seems that Jacko seems to want me to give me uh, a whole other game from back in the 70s. Um, I guess it's to suck at the draw. Um, if, for people who aren't familiar with Mastermind, it's a bit of an abstract deduction game where you're trying to guess the order of um, and colour of a whole load of hidden pegs in a particular sequence. Um, each player takes a turn making a limited number of guesses and using logic to detect what pegs the opponent has hidden and which order they've hidden them. One, one player secretly puts four coloured pegs in the spaces behind the screen at one end of the game board. The other player, the code breaker, makes a series of guesses. After each guess, the code maker uses small pegs to tell the, go break, the code breaker if the guessed pegs are the right colour and in the right place. Are the right colour in the wrong place? or the, are the wrong colour entirely. 
The code player, the code breaker makes another guess in the next row, building upon the information from previous guesses, trying to match the pegs the code made the, the code maker hit at the beginning of the game. So it's quite a straightforward uh, game of deduction in a quite an abstract way. So with that in mind, I was looking at games which also follow some form of deduction, preferably with a, with, with, with a bit of a spy theme. Um, and unsurprisingly, I went with the crypto. Uh, so the crypto was first published back in 2018. It's um, designed by Thomas, uh, my word, Diganus Lespinence. Again, I'm really sorry for butchering uh, people's names there. And it was first published by Scorpion Mask, uh, and it'll cost you about £15. Um, now, the crypto is a, a, it's, it's a, a lot more of a party game, but it's definitely still got aspects of deduction and a bit of a spiral into it. Um, it has been mentioned in a couple of other podcasts of, of, um, in the past, but just to um, kind of um, bring, bring people up to speed, um, the game itself consists of players being um, competing in two teams, um, each trying to interpret the coding messages presented to them by their teammates whilst cracking the code they intercept from the opposing detail. Each team has their own screen, and in this screen, they tuck four cards in pockets, num in, in, in pockets numbered one to four, letting everyone on the same team see the words on these cards whilst hiding the words from the opposing team. In the first round, each team does the following. One team member takes a code card that shows three of the digits, one to four, in some order. For example, four, two, one. They then give a coded message that their teammates must use to guess this code. For example, if the team's four words are pig, candy, tent, and sun, then you might say Sam, striped, pink, and hope that the teammates can correctly map those words to four, two, one. If they guess correct, great. If not, they receive a black mark of failure. Starting in the second round, a member of each team must again give a clue about their words to the match the cut numbered code. If I get to four, three, I might now say sucker, prince, steak. The other team then attempts to guess what our number code. If they're correct, they get a might mark of success. If not, then my team must guess the number correctly or take a black mark of failure. Guessing correctly does nothing except void failure and give the opposing team information about what our hidden words might be. The rounds continue until all teams collect either a second white mark winning the game or second black mark losing the game. Games typically last between four to seven rounds. If neither team has run off eight rounds, then each team must attempt to guess the other team's words. Whichever team guesses more words correctly wins. So again, it definitely takes on the whole thing of like logical deduction, but it upgrades it a little bit more to a bit of a party game, which um, as I'm sure your most regular listeners are aware of, it's something uh, they're very much the games of choice for myself. Um, I love it. I think it's fantastic. Again, I could have picked other games, things like uh, uh, Code Words fits in quite nicely with this, but um, the Crypto is definitely one of my favorites in regards to this category. So here you go. Um, in upgrading Mastermind, I've picked the Crypto. Moving on. Uh, so the last game I was looking at this week was Battleships. Now, I think, again, we've all remember Battleships. Uh, it's definitely a game I've got fond memories from my youth. Um, what I wasn't aware of is that how old it was. It was first published back in 1931. Um, and 
at that time, um, it was actually using a pen and paper version. Um, now, because of this, um, I haven't actually managed to find um, a designer for the game. But yeah, the original game, it uh, used pen and paper uh, on a, a, a gridded paper. And the grid would be 14 by 22, 22 squares and included both land and sea uh, icons. Yourself uh, placed 14 units, including marines, submarines rather, aircraft and ammo dumps, seven squares near you. You attacked your opponent uh, by calling grids coordinates. Uh, once per game, you may release the blockbuster, which hit nine squares in a square shape. A total of 63 hits are needed to win the game and comes with at least 33 color play seats. So that was the original one. Um, obviously, um, I think most of us remember the, um, the plastic version from the late 70s and 80s, uh, where again, you, you would have a gridded um, board and uh, which you placed the ships on and then called out um, coordinates to indicate which particular square you're attacking. And then you would obviously, you, you, um, you would hear the response of either hit or miss. Um, again, I think uh, for those of a certain age, there's the uh, Bill and Ted movie where the Bill and Ted play uh, uh, death, uh, a game of battleships amongst others, just to uh, see if, um, just to try and outsmart death. Anyway, so that's Battleships, great little game. Um, but the game which I think most um, uh, resembles Battleships in the modern era has to be, and it's arguably one of my favorite games, uh, Captain Sonar, which uh, was first published back in 2016 and designed by, here we go, Roberto uh, Frega and Johan Lemonier. Uh, it was for, uh, well, it's uh, available through Maggot Games. Uh, it plays between two and eight people and you can get it for about 30 quid. Um, so again, uh, besides not besides the nautical theme of uh, Battleships, um, it's also uh, a, a game much like Battleships, which requires a certain level of uh, deduction and uh, a, bit of a bit of a war theme to it. Uh, in Captain Sona, you and your teammates control a state-of-the-art submarine and are trying to locate an enemy submarine in order to blow it out of the water, water before they can do the same to you. Every role is important and the confrontation is merciless. Be organized and communicate because the captain is nothing about his crew, which consists of the chief mate, the radio operator, and the engineer. All the members of a team sit on one side of the table and they each take a particular role on the submarine, with the division of labor for these roles being dependent on the number of players in the game. One player might be the captain, who is responsible for moving the submarine and announcing some details of this movement. Another player is manning the sonar in order to listen to the opposing captain's orders and try to decipher where the submarine might be in the water. A third player might be working in the munitions room to prepare torpedoes, mines, and other devices that are allowed for combat. Captain sonar can be played in two modes, turn by turn, which is, which is much like the uh, old battleship's um, version, or if you're feeling brave and want the full immersive experience, you can play it simultaneously. In the later setup, as in via simultaneously, all the members of the team take their actions simultaneously while trying to track what the opponents are doing too. When the captain is ready to launch an attack, the action pauses for a moment to see whether a hit has been recorded. Then play resumes, the target having snuck away whilst the attacker paused or with bits of metal now scattered across the ocean floor. 
This game is fantastic. It's chaotic. It's loud. You get a whole buzz of just trying to track down the other actual um, team. You have it's 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 incredibly low tech because um, it relies on acetate um, gels and uh, um, and um, whiteboard pens, but it's just brilliant. I absolutely love this game. It's one of those games where I can't play it enough, but at the same time, because it requires uh, quite a high number of players, it doesn't necessarily get to the table as often as it should. Also, with things like COVID being an issue, it's one of those games which um, I'm not sure if it ever will come back to the table, but hopefully with the things being easing a little bit, you never know, it might come back to the table soon. And yeah, I'll be really looking forward to that. So yes, my last pick was uh, Captain Sonar to replace Battleship. So there you go. So here we go. Those are my five games that I've had to replace. They were Buckaroo, Cluedo, Uno, Mastermind, Battleship. And I replaced them with Junkart, Mysterium, Hill Dog Mau Mau, the Crypto, and Captain Sona. Of those games, I'd have to say I would probably want to play Captain Sona the most. And yeah, I would really look forward to the opportunity to play that. Um, in the meantime, uh, that's me signing off. And until next time, where I think I've got five more games to try and update, um, this has been your Catman Pete. Goodbye for now. As it was my idea to do these uh, Ramble replacements, I thought it was only fair that I get involved myself. And so, well, basically, I didn't want to be left out. So, now, the first game I drew, I couldn't believe it. It was the one game I really didn't want to get. It's going back to 1978, which was a great year for the planet, as it saw a little me emerge. Ah, uh, yeah. The game I got was Hungry Hungry Hippos. I really, really struggled to think of how I could come up with something that was similar to this. Uh, I was that desperate. I tried really breaking down what is Hungry Hippos at its core. And then I thought, well, it's a kind of pick up and deliver game. And then I thought, no, that really is stretching it. But I did come up with something that I think is still doable. After hours and hours of deliberating, I kind of consider Double, which is a fast game where you're trying to put the matching cards down as quick as you can, which I thought gave you a similar feel to Hungry Hungry Hippos, but mechanically the game is so different, I thought, no, it's just not going to count. Then it dawned on me. A great game out there, which I think definitely does match up, and is a much better version, is Clask. Now, I know what you're thinking is that, well, isn't Clask a two-player game? There is actually a four-player version called Clask 4. So, if anybody's unaware of what Clask is, you'll have a wooden board with a tiny ball on it, and you'll have these blockers that are on top, and you're basically moving these blockers around using a magnet that's underneath, and you're trying to flip the ball into your opponent's goal. There are also these white magnetic blocks on the board that if you collect too many of those, then you'll also concede the point. So this is a brilliant, fast, frantic game. Only takes about 10 minutes to play. It's designed by Mikkel Bertelsen and is published by Compito. 
the quality of the actual product itself it really is a beautifully crafted table and it looks really nice and sort of thing you could quite happily leave sat on your coffee table and that anybody passing would want to play and the good thing is that uh, kids really enjoy playing this as well so once again i think this is definitely a very good comparison for hungry hungry hippos the next game is another one that is popular with my children and this is the 1974 Connect 4. I actually quite like Connect 4 as I think it's a great basic abstract game that does teach kids to try to think quite logically. The first one started out where you'd be dropping your tokens down into the chute and trying to match up your four in a line. I'm sure you know the game. And there's been many iterations such as towers that you can twist around but it's all basically the same. Now the replacement I've got for you is by a friend of the show, Andy Hopwood. And we spoke about this game briefly in an episode we done go way back when. This is Mineleaf. So in Mineleaf, the basic standard game is played on a 4x4 grid. And each player has 8 pieces with 2 of 4 different symbols. The idea is to simply try to get 3 of your tokens in a row. The beauty of Mineleaf though, is that when you play one of these pieces... Depending on the piece that you play, is going to force your opponent to play in a certain way when they do their next token. So, for example, I might place one that means that you have to put your next piece adjacent to one of mine. They might put one down that says, right, well, you have to go diagonally away from that piece. So there's a beautiful back and throw where you're trying to think, how can I possibly connect my three while still while still trying to get control of the game so that they can't. It really does take the likes of Connect 4 and it inverts the game and manages to try and get you to think in a totally different way. It's absolutely brilliant. I really do recommend it. They've also recently brought out a new version which is made by XV Games. And this comes in a lovely little bag and you've got these beautiful little wooden tokens that represent the different powers beautiful game sort of thing that you could put in your pocket and take camping and it just fits in perfectly yeah couldn't recommend it enough so connect four is now going to be mine leaf the next game i drew out the hat goes back to 1959 it's a game that causes lots of arguments and it's quite funny because it is called diplomacy so if anybody's never played Diplomacy, this is a game that's set in the early 1900s and you'll take controls of the great powers of the time, so the likes of Great Britain, France, Austria-Hungary, Germany, Italy, Russia and Turkey. Now, I was trying to think what the core elements are to Diplomacy because this is an absolute beast of a game. In the game, you'll be negotiating, there's political, there's a wargaming element to it. The different mechanisms you've got is area control, you're moving on the board, you're negotiating, you're trying to eliminate your opponents. There's a lot, a lot going on in this game. It's also not a small game, so it's not a sort of game you're going to sit down and play within half hour. You're looking at about six hours to play the game. So... Straight away, my mind goes to theme aside. If I'm looking at a modern day version of this, I think there can only be one, and that is the Twilight Imperium series, in particular, Twilight Imperium 4. So, with Twilight Imperium 4, you're going to be hitting a lot of the same things. You've got a large player count, it goes up to six, potentially more with expansions. 
Again, you're looking at spending a good weekend playing potentially. So you've got the time factor. You have got all those mechanisms I mentioned earlier. You've got your negotiating. You've got your area control. You've got your uh, combats as well. It really does seem, if I'm taking an historical game and putting it into a futuristic world, to me that is a perfect match. Twilight Imperium 4 is an absolutely fantastic game and it really does seem to have developed its own cult following. I've played it myself and I would say that for anybody, even if you're not into these sort of big games, I would recommend trying it. I would say it's the sort of game you should have on your bucket list just to say you tried it because it really is a big experience and there's so much to it and there's all these different alien races that have all these different powers. It really is an epic game and it's one of those ones where I think everybody should say that they've tried it at least once. Twilight Imperium 4 is published by Fantasy Flight Games and was designed by Dane Betrami, Corey Konichka and Christian T. Peterson. Now this isn't a cheap game and you probably will be looking about a £100 mark. What I would say is that this is probably a sort of game that you'll probably want to try before you buy. So if you can find somebody who's got a copy and join in with them, that'll probably be the way to go. Because, unfortunately, this is the sort of game that isn't going to be coming out all that often. But when it does come out, it is quite a big event. The next game I pulled out is a relatively young pup in this genre, really. But I do think it has become its own modern classic. Coming out originally in 1983, we are talking about the stack building game that is Jenga. Now, there are quite a few different routes I could have gone with these sort of dexterity stacking games. I could have gone with Animal Upon Animal. I could have maybe looked at Junk Art. The one I've opted for is Rhino Hero. So, in Rhino Hero, the idea is that you're actually trying to stack up a tower, just like you would do in Jenga. But instead of using wooden blocks, you're actually using cards. Now, there's two different types of cards. You've got your ceiling stroke floors. And you've also got your walls. Now the walls are folded in half to create an L shape. On your turn, what you will do, you will put your walls in place. And from your hand of cards that will be the ceilings stroke floors, you will opt to put one of these on top. On these ceilings and floors, there are markings for where your opponent have to put their walls. So you're looking to try and to push the tower over to one side or make it difficult for them to build up any higher in the hope that they knock the tower over. Some cards also have extra icons that add a level of tactics to the game. You might find that some cards make your opponent pick up extra cards, or you might find that they make them skip a go. You could even reverse the order, so if someone tries stitching you up, then by playing one of these cards, you'll be able to fire it back straight to them. Also on some of these cards is a little picture that depicts a rhino. Now, this is a beautiful little twist to the tale in this story, where if you have a card that's placed down, showing the little rhino, there's a little wooden rhino meeple that you have to put onto that card, which then is going to add a certain weight. And this could be the difference between the tower standing and total collapse. There is also Rhino Hero Super Battle, which is a more technical version and you can actually start building bridges across and each person has their own hero. But I'm going to stick with Rhino Hero purely because it's a nice cheap game. You can normally pick up between the £5 and £10 mark. So it's keeping it in line with the same price and the complexity of Jenga. 
It plays two to five players, depending how good stroke bad you are, should take about five to 15 minutes to play, and is recommended for ages five up, and just like Jenga, it's a great game for the whole family. The last one I got for you this week is going to be another game from 1983. It's also another one that's very popular with my children, and that is Scotland Yard. So in Scotland Yard, you'll have one person who is playing as a spy called Mr. X, while the rest of the police are trying to hunt him down through the streets of London. In this hidden movement game, Mr. X is utilising a separate pad that is displaying what's on the map. On this sheet, he is able to plan the route that he's trying his best to escape from the police. While this is happening, the combined forces of the police players, they will be moving around the actual board itself, trying to locate where Mr. X is hidden, as he doesn't actually have a physical piece that is permanently on the board. Well, not until it's discovered anyway. It's a very good game. I really do recommend it. This is a game that has definitely stood the test of time. Although, what we're trying to do here is find better replacements. And I think I'll come up with a perfect solution. Because not only does it take all the elements of what Scotland Yard is, where you'll have one versus many, you'll have somebody on a hidden map trying to scour around, but it also puts into a futuristic setting and introduces certain powers to the different players. I'm talking about the amazingly brilliant Spectre Ops. So Spectre Ops, as I said, is set in a cyberpunk futuristic world where one person will actually be a hacker and they're trying to get in, hack certain terminals that are located on this visually stunning board and you'll try to get into these different zones, activate a certain number of these terminals and then try to sneak out again without the hunters tracking you down and allowing you to escape. They've also introduced a player count of five players the one of the hunters can actually be a traitor and will actually help the runner out. This really does put a big twist in the tale. It's a game that generates so much tension and tactics. You've got the cooperative side with the um, hunters all trying to work together, unless you've got the traitor involved, in which case it's also introducing a lot of paranoia. It's a fantastic game. This was designed by Emerson Matsuchi and is published by Plathag Games. Like I said, it plays for two to five players and normally takes between one to two hours to play. Really do recommend this one, guys. What I would say, though, is that it has taken the complexity of Scotland Yard up a level, so I wouldn't necessarily recommend it for younger children. So you've heard each of the team's first five. Next week, we'll be completing our ten replacements. Well, that's all we've got time for this week's show. Hope you all enjoyed it. I'd like to say a massive thank you to the Ramblers, Boise, Rob, and of course Cowboy Pete for their replacement recommendations. If you've got any comments on today's show, then feel free to drop me an email at tabtopramble at gmail.com or alternatively, come along and join us on our Discord. As always, everything that we spoke about today's show will be available on the show notes that's on the website, which is tabtopramble.com. Hopefully you join us for next week's show where we will be completing our replacement list. So until next week, make sure you stay safe, stay healthy, and I'll speak to you then. <laughs>